Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Thanks for the, um, taking the time to come and let me share about my heart of Russia and missions. And it's good to be back here. I've been here a couple of years ago, it was a few years ago, with our, my wife and my kids. Uh, we have three daughters, three beautiful daughters, and uh, I have a beautiful wife, obviously. That's where they get their genetics from, not from me. Um, we do have some prayer cards over on the side, and I'd love if you, there's a table over there, I'd love if every one of you afterwards would go grab one of these prayer cards. If you want to be updated what's going on in Russia, please just put your name and email down, you know, no spam and anything like that. But I'd love to have you guys pray, praying for us. I know the pictures, my kids change. Nancy and I don't look a day older than we did 13 years ago, you know, and I will agree to lying about your age if you agree to lying about mine, okay? So uh, that would be a wonderful way to start off the thing. Yeah, so we, we don't look any older. I don't know how it happens. Um, age creeps up on me. My oldest daughter now has left. She just graduated this last year, and she's attending university down in Missouri, a Christian university down there. And so we are starting the process of that empty nest, and I really do not like that. I don't enjoy that whatsoever, saying goodbye to my girl, because it's different. They're not just across town. She's five, 6,000 miles away from us, as we live in St. Petersburg, Russia. But that's life, and part of it, and we're proud of her, and she's a, she's a great gal. So I love my girls. They are there. The others are in Russia right now, probably sleeping soundly, about 12 hours difference from us here. And so they... They love their life, and we love missions. We never thought we'd go there. We never thought we'd be a, be a part of this. But it's interesting. Our kids have spent more years now overseas than they ever have in the U.S. And it's different for them. I mean, they're used to some things that it just, you know, for them it's normal to have a passport and a visa, and you've got to go this way. I, the funniest story was years ago, probably we had just got spent our first term in Moldova, four years, came back to the States. Natalie, our middle child, must have been about seven at that time. We had pulled into the U.S. We had to drive through Colorado somehow. And near Denver, there's these toll roads and toll booths. I don't know if you've ever been through there. So we pulled up to that and went to the first one where you got to slow down. And Natalie, our middle child, goes, oh, no, customs again? So I said, no, these are not passports. You just have to give money to drive on the road. Wow. And you know, she was also the one who said, I think I'm getting car sick in America. The roads are too smooth. <laughs> Get used to it. You'll like it. You know, it's really nice because... At that point, Moldova, we had potholes in our potholes. You know, there. I mean, it's doubled on top of that. And not only that, I mean, we. I always said we had potholes big enough to do water baptisms in. I mean, just come on, you know, right on in, and we'll we'll make it happen. But she got used to it, and we all got used to it. And it's different. Our oldest daughter, she'd tell stories all the time. Well, our last, her, she graduated from St. Petersburg, and so one of her classes, they'd always be trying to top the next story. And her teacher would say, "Oh, this is what Russia was like. This is what Russia was like." He had been there 20 years, and she goes, yeah, and she'd share her story about Moldova, waking up at 8 o'clock in the morning as the neighbor, about 15 feet away from her bedroom window, was killing his pig, you know, and I don't know, the wake-up call of 7.30, you know, was not something she'll never forget, and they would scrape the pig down and butchering it out there, and these, you know, oh, got to save it all, you know, they'd be holding it up to the window practically, you know, here's the lungs and the heart, and okay, that's great, and so that was her life, her story. You don't just buy your meat at the, at the grocery store. It's butchered right outside your window. But we have loved missions, and our girls have loved, loved what God has been doing. And so 
you know, I now serve in Russia, which is different. Russia is big. It's very large. I think you guys, um, the connections here, Alaska, we always, I mean, you, you talk about how big Alaska is. Well, just so you understand, 10 Alaskas will fit in Russia. That's how big Russia is. One-sixth of the world's land mass is in Russia. And it is huge. And we have so few workers, so few missionaries, so few churches, really. I mean, the churches we have, we've got some great pockets, great leaders, and some solid churches and wonderful people. But then the size of it and the need of it still makes maybe no more. I'm uh, rounding up pretty high to about 2% of the population are Christians. About 150-some million people there. But they're scattered across it. There's about 80 around 80-ish unreached people's groups. Those are cultures, people's groups, languages that have no church whatsoever. Zero, or no significant population. The Chechnyas, which, yeah, there's a handful, and there's a few people, but not, the, the percentage is so small, there's nothing. Ingutseria, that's down in the southern part, near Sochi. Remember the Sochi Olympics? You know, that whole area down there is surrounded. About 30 to 40 unreached people's groups. Most of them don't have Bibles in their own language, maybe a half a gospel or nothing whatsoever. Ingusetia, as I mentioned, we don't think there's one English believer anywhere in the world. We don't know of any Christians whatsoever, fiercely Muslim. And it's those, those mountainous regions right outside that area, kind of like the Afghanistan. Every valley is a different, different culture. You can't even enter some of those villages unless you're invited by somebody there or you have relatives there. And we think, God, how are you going to open the doors for us to get in here? Dagestan, Boston Marathon bombing from a year or two ago. Those people from Dagestan, that's Russia, that's our area. And I say, God, we need to have the church change those areas. They have, they've never once heard the name of Jesus Christ. They've never heard that. They don't know anything about that. They don't know about His grace. They don't know about His forgiveness. They don't know about His mercy. All these great songs, Great is Thy Faithfulness, they've never seen it whatsoever. And so I say, Lord, somehow give us people They'll have a passion to go. People that will come alongside in prayer and support and resources to see the church happen there. So Russia's big. I live in St. Petersburg, and that's about 6 to 8 million people, just my city. Moscow's maybe 19 million. I don't know how many cities over a million we have, but we have many there. St. Petersburg, 6 to 8 million, probably not more than 30,000, and we've rounded this thing up. Every Combine every church together, every Christian and on a Sunday morning, there's probably no more than 30,000 in churches of a town of 16 million. I don't know how many churches you can drive by here just on the way to here today. But there are so many churches and so many opportunities. And there, probably you're looking at a tenth or two-tenths of one percent of a population that know Christ. They've ever heard about His forgiveness. Now, the religious, some are. Some of it's religious atheism is what I call it. You know, we are religious, but they know nothing about God. You know, they are, they are against Him. And we fight that so much. I was saying our persecution still comes out. Novosibirsk, our third largest city in, in, in Russia. There is one great church there. Pastor Vitaly is wonderful. The church maybe runs 1,000 people, maybe 1,500 people. They rent buildings every time. They just got kicked out about three weeks ago. I don't know where they're meeting now. They'll find some kind of hall to meet. We're trying to buy property, but we didn't even know it. Trying to get the money to do it and the opportunity to do it. But the only way we can do it is almost secretively. So one area, we have some land. There's about six or eight lots right there that we're thinking this might work. Each of the lots is probably thirty to 40000 I'm just going to kind of round up. So by the whole thing we're done, it's going to cost us 300000 to get the land. That's the hardest part. 
but to, we won't even ever mention the church. We'll buy it in people's names, and once we have all of them, we'll combine them together, you know, and make a project that's going to be a hall. That's all we'll call it. And once it's built, then we'll turn it over to the name of the church. Because if we don't, they will stop it. There'll be permits. There'll be cr- that'll be canceled. There'll be crowds and protests. It is so anti-Christian. That's the only way we can make it happen. And so, yeah, people aren't thrown in prison the same way as they used to be, though even then it can happen. Just in, say, Perm, uh, wonderful city of Perm, they did a water baptism, and right afterwards the police were out interviewing every person that was baptized. You know, what had happened? Did they force this upon you? Did they, they coerce you to do this? And trying to find reason to arrest the church leaders. So we're under scrutiny, and we really need God to do miracles. So when I say pick up a prayer card and pray for Russia, or sign up to get our prayer report, reports, I mean it. We need God to do something supernatural. And I love Russia. Don't believe the news. You know, you can go there and we, it's a, it's, as long as God opens the door, um, we want to serve there. And I say this always, the safest place to be is in God's will. Amen? I mean, when you are there, I do not fear we have, it is, the war is a long ways away from us. I mean, we get a little bit, you hear some of the anti-Americanism, but hey, gospel is the most important. We have to share about Christ. And people are people. And I, I get talking to them and you walk to them, they're just like you and I. How many of you remember years ago the stories afraid of the Soviet Union because they were going to bomb America? Anybody here remember that? Okay, it's going to be the older ones. The Soviet Union was there. You know, that was, and they taught things. I mean, somebody said, oh yeah, I remember the, the bomb drills where they would you know, teach you to get under your desk in case the missiles came. I sit around with Russians sometimes, and I say, what do you remember? Oh, yeah, I remember years ago when it was the Soviet Union, and they used to tell us all the time about those crazy Americans, how they're going to bomb Russia anytime. And so when you start thinking about that, people are people, right? It's just across the table, and you, you talk to them, and they all have their own stories, and they're all needy, and they all need Christ. That's the common thing. We all need Jesus Christ. I... Uh, remember leaving pastoring. I pastored down in Montana, big sky country. You know, it was Harleton, Montana. And, and I re- walked home one day. It was interesting. A missionary came and spoke at the church. And I, and I walked home and said to my wife, Nancy, I wonder if God is going to speak to us and call us, about mission, call us into missions. And she went, what in the world? You know, we were happy there. We loved the outdoors. You love the mountains. We, we liked America. You know, there's Man, this is a great place. There's coffee and fast food, and you know, there's all kinds of great things that we love. You can get peanut butter at the store. You know, we like that. You know, those are in Russia. We have to pay fifteen dollars for a little tiny jar of peanut butter if you want it. You know, and so we said, I don't know. You know, and we started praying about this, and we prayed. I mean, my, I'll just be honest. It was about two months. We prayed. Is this really you, God, calling us to missions, or just some harebrained idea I had from bad pepperoni pizza? You know, that kind of feeling. And and I I prayed and prayed and. It was two months for me. Nancy knew ahead, and we just—I said, "Don't talk to me." You know, I need to—I need to hear from God on this one. <laughs> and I was at, came over to the church sanctuary early one morning. It's like six o'clock, and I was pacing back and forth. God, what do you want us to do? Do you really want us to go? And my Bible was open, and I looked down, and I read the part where people give Jesus excuses. You know that one, Lord? I just got some new oxen. You know, I can't follow him yet. I can't follow you yet. Another guy said, "My father just died," and Jesus' reply was, "Let the dead." bury the dead. And I said, oh, and right then, it's like God just dropped the thought on my head, my heart. Andy, quit making excuses. We are really good at excuses, aren't we? I mean, we all, 
It used to be the dog ate my homework. Now it's the computer crashed. I mean, we can find excuses for everything. And so I said, okay. Called my dad a couple hours later and said, Dad, I'm really feeling like maybe God is calling us into missions, particularly Eastern Europe. I don't know why I said that. And he goes, why don't you wait until I'm dead first? Now, I am not exaggerating that. Those are the words that he said. And I had like Twilight Zone music playing in the background. I thought I just read that. You know, where was that? And um, so we went and, you know, we left. I remember landing there, 17 suitcases, three little kids. Our kids were one, three, and seven, you know, coming off. Had never been to the country before, living in this little apartment. And our daughter, our oldest daughter, she hated she hated Velveeta cheese. You know those little slices? We call it plastic cheese. You know those ones? But some people, somebody who greet, met us at the airport and set us up in our first little temporary apartment put some of that plastic cheese in the fridge. And I remember our seven-year-old, just a culture shock, her going to the fridge and pulling that Velveeta cheese out and eating it. You know, it was her, the only thing she knew, the only thing she recognized, it was this plastic cheese. She hated it any other time, but she liked it that week and that month. And the culture shock, it makes us uncomfortable. And then I remember it was a couple of years ago, you know, we were packing to go back to Moldova. In fact, the last time I was here, I was sharing, here's, how we're, here's what we're doing in Moldova. And we've been planting churches and we're working with Freedom Home. We start, started Freedom Home. It's an aftercare home for girls that have been trafficked into prostitution. And it was, we did it years before trafficking was the issue of the day. And it's still going great. You know, I, I can share, I'll share some of the stories because they interlock with Russia. And the ministry is still going wonderful, and there's light, girls that are being changed, and my wife is still being a part of it. We're still financially responsible and so much for it for every month. And I shared about that. But we were packing to head back. And my boss, in a sense, you know, a super, uh, my regional director, calls us and says, Andy, what are you doing? you want to talk a minute? I said, oh, sure, I can talk. He says, I'd like to talk to you about the idea of going to Russia and serving as area director for Russia and Belarus. And then he goes, I'm not offering you the job or anything like that. He said, I just want to know if you want to talk. And I said, well, if you're not offering the job, I am definitely not saying yes, but I guess the least I can do is talk to you about it. And so I, we, Nancy and I met with him for about three hours one afternoon, and he talked to us about the need. The missionaries in Russia, we used to have three or four times as many missionaries. And people have gone and left and left and left. And I don't know why, I don't know what it is, but the need is still there. And when he got done, he said to, he says, you know, I'd, I'd like to know if you guys would be willing to take on this responsibility. You know, when we first went down, he said, you know, I have a short list. And after he said that, I realized we were the short list. Okay, that was it. And I said, ah, boy, I don't know. I have got to, I've got to pray about it. In fact, I left a couple days later and spent some time with Kevin. We were up on the North Slope, I guess, for about a week. And I think he remembers we're sitting out there, and I just kept talking. What do I do? I'm not sure. Should I? I mean, I love Moldova. There's no reason to leave where we're at. And do we go to Russia? And I knew I had to go. Now, there is some people who have this strange theology, and I don't agree with it. It's the theology of saying, that believes that if you ever say you would never want to go there, that is where God is going to send you. Have you ever heard that? You know, like, oh, don't say you would never go to Africa, because that is where God is going to send you. I, you know, God is not out there thinking, how can I make him miserable? You know, if she doesn't want to go to someplace hot, let's send her to the equator. I mean, God does not do that, okay? God is a kind God, and he's, but really what it is, is more our comfort zone. You know, we do not like to be moved off of our comfort zone. So my point of me saying, God, I never want to go to Russia, it was more, I'm very comfortable here. 
what do we call those little recliners? You know, the kind of the brand name, the ones that you flip the lever and put it up. It's called a Lazy Boy, right? Even if it's not that brand, we use a Lazy Boy recliner. Why? Because we are, when we're in those things, something happens to our body, and we refuse to want to get out of them, right? Have you ever got in those things and go, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable here. You know, I'm Lazy is appropriate. I think the spirit of laziness has overcome me right now. And it's hard for us to get out of those things. And that's really what happened to me. You know, I, I'm thinking, God, I'm, I'm comfortable. I know Moldova. I know where to buy my peaches and my tomatoes. I know which potholes to avoid. You know, I know who to call when the sewer backs up. You know, I know who, you know, all those kind of things. I can live with the neighbors killing their pigs right outside the window. I mean, I understand that. Now, why do I want to go to... Russia, especially St. Petersburg. I mean, I like the mountains, the woods, and there's some outside that, but St. Petersburg, six to eight million people, you know, I'm happy. I, the way I grew up, I'd be happy if there were six people in my county. I mean, I, my dream in high school is to get a dog, move to the Yukon, and just trap for a living. I mean, I, I want to be one of those kind of pioneers, and here I am at six to eight million people. But we said yes, and then we relocated, and we moved there, and we've learned what it is like to live in the the big city, and I will tell you, even though it makes me uncomfortable, it's always the better place to be. When God stretches us, getting uncomfortable to follow the Lord, it's always rewarding in the end. There's a great quote that I want to read from a wise man in literature, Bilbo Baggins, from Lord of the Rings. He told his nephew Frodo, it's dangerous business, Frodo, going out the door. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. And I love that quote because it really is a description of following Christ. If you step out the door in obedience to follow Christ and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to get a little uncomfortable. I'm going to volunteer to teach kids in this class. I'm going to work with the youth. I'm going to, I'm going to step into leadership. I'm going to be an elder. I'm going to be on a worship team. I'm going, to, I'm going to work with the cold shelter. I'm going to do this or that, we are always afraid, and you never know when you step out the door what will be the next step. And God will sweep you down the road into a path that you never would dream about. I could, if you had asked me 13 years ago, I'd be living in St. Petersburg, and I'd be happy serving in Russia, and I would have thought you were crazy. I'd have thought, what are you smoking? You know, Because <laughs> it's certainly not what's going to be a reality for me. But I understand now that when God stretches us, it's always the best place to be. And so I learned, I mean, when I moved there, I learned some of these things. It took me a while because I was really out of my comfort zone. And I had to learn a personal space. Oh, my word, is this a huge one. You know, Americans, especially guys for me, Northerners, we like at least three feet between us in all serious conversations. In fact, the more serious the conversation, less men like us will really look at each other. You know, we have a deep, you're going to have a deep, heartfelt conversation. The guy's going to be sitting there, you're going to be looking off, staring for caribou or moose. And then that's like the only way you can have a deep conversation. And Russians, man, the personal space is close. These guys have their heads about six inches from me, and, you know, and, they're, and they're talking to me. And I, I always wanted to step back. You know, and I, it's hard for me, but I'm getting used to that. Girls will grab arm in arm or hand in hand and just walk down the road. And the first time Nancy's there and a girl just puts her arm in her arm, she's going like, what are you doing? You know, we're not related or anything like that. It's just touchy. And my girls, oh, my word, sometimes I tell my girls, just move over a little bit. Just give me two inches. They're like sitting on me. Any, there, any couch for three people will hold at least eight. I mean, they'll just squeeze right in there. And 
And I got comfortable a little bit with it, not totally. I walk into a room, and I've got to shake hands with every one of the men. You know, that's all, you always shake hands with every person, not just the one you're talking to. And I learned that clean shoes are more important than the newest style. You have to have them clean. You've got to make sure they're clean. But it doesn't take me long to get uncomfortable. I'm in Europe, and that European tradition of greeting each other with a kiss, now that stresses me out. You know, some countries are two kisses, some are three kisses. You know, and I'm always nervous. Do I go left, right, left, or, or right, left, right? I don't want to go left and have them go right, and we meet in the middle. I mean, that would be so embarrassing. And, and, I, and it just stresses me. I always want to go stick my hand out. You know, just do that. It's so much safer. And I, I've driven on the other side of the road in a couple countries. That, uh, that is rather stressful, trying to shift with your left hand, and which way is first, and you've got to look down, and, hey, I'm on the wrong side of the lane again. Get over there, you know, and you, you have to do those things. And you get uncomfortable. But God, I think the Great Commission is probably the best thing. Go into all the world and to preach the gospel. Doesn't it say that? It does not say, go to the people who you like, who like the same things you do. Go to the pizza lovers. You know, go to those who like Mexican food. Go to those that speak the same language. Go to those who like the same sports teams. Go to those with the same color skin. Go to those with the same ethnic background. It says, go to all the world and to preach the gospel. And if I'm going to do that, that means I've got to get a little uncomfortable. I've got to learn how to eat some stuff that I don't always like to eat. Oh, boy, I've eaten some strange things over time. I've eaten some, there's this meal, they, they love this stuff called chaladietz. I call it chicken fat jello. You know, it's made out of chicken or pork. I mean, it's congealed chicken fat. You know that stuff you skim off the top of the soup after it's been in the fridge? That's the whole bowl of it. And, I, you know, why do I want to eat that? And I've got to eat that. I've had moose heart in one spot, which is not so bad. Some strange stuff that I, I call it mystery meat, that I have no idea what I was eating. You know, and you just eat it, and you go on and smile. And you get uncomfortable. And we all are called to get out of our comfort zone. We love what is safe. But God has called us to step out of the road into obedience. There's a little scripture I want to read in John chapter 4. And it's in 427, but I'm going to sum it up before you get to this last verse. 427, uh, chapter 4 of the book of John, is about Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman. I'd encourage you to read it. It's a fascinating story. I won't go through the whole thing now. There's been thousands of messages preached on this. But what it is, is Jesus and his disciples were going through Samaria, and they stop at this well. The disciples leave. Jesus is sitting there at this well, and a Samaritan woman comes up. Now, the culture of the Jews and the Samaritans was an antagonistic relationship. The Samaritans were... I mean, they would call them half-breeds, you know, this half-Jewish and some other ethnicity. And they, they were not pure Jews. There, there was a history there was there, and they did not like one another. And Jesus had this conversation with this woman. Probably, we know because of the conversation, she was a sinner. She did not have a good lifestyle because Jesus confronts her. She probably even came at that time of day to avoid the other women at the well. It's because of her lifestyle. And then Jesus speaks straight into her life, really like supernatural wisdom, saying... Yeah, you've had five husbands. The one you're with right now is not your husband. And she's going, what? How did you know this kind of thing? And then he offers her himself. He says, I, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. That's me, the living water. And the whole thing is this conversation of him confronting her lifestyle, but loving her. And then it ends, I just think verse 27 is so interesting. And then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? But that's what they were thinking. Why are you talking with her? 
These disciples have been hanging out with Jesus, and they still did not get it. Jesus cared so much for that woman who is so different than them. See, Jesus does not look at the front, the little, the berries. He does not say, oh, uh, those Russians, eh, not for them. The gospel's for these people. Jesus did not say, ah, oh, that woman over there, or that guy who's an alcoholic, or that woman who is a prostitute, or that criminal, or that, uh, that drug addict, eh, they're beyond grace. No, he looks at them and values them. And that's where Jesus, I think the example of what Jesus sets for us here is significant. Jesus looked beyond them. Do you realize he, he broke through the barriers that were there? There was huge barriers. There was historical barriers. There was these, the, that historical barrier of Jews and Samaritans, uh, them disliking one another. I mean, we have that. I mean, everyone makes jokes. They make jokes about the other state that's over, those kind of people, the ethnicity. I mean, you can have it from tribe to tribe. In Africa, I mean, even think of Rwanda, black to black, two different tribes massacring one another, the history that goes on between people. And God somehow has to work through that history. God cares, does not care about what the past was. He doesn't care about what happened. And he works in our hearts. I mentioned, you know, there's those Russians. You know, we also hate those crazy Russians because they're going to bomb us. Alexander is a friend of mine. He's a pastor now, but he wasn't always that way. Alexander... He's actually in St. Petersburg now, wonderful man, but he was born in the Perm region. Perm, as I mentioned, I mentioned the city before, but it's an interesting town. It's a long city. I mean, it'll take an hour to go the length of it. It was a secret city. In the Soviet Union days, if you looked at a, the Soviet map, even the, the Russians did not know the city was there. It was not on any map. It was the center for the factories for making all those arms, so the missiles were made there, the rocket launchers, the tanks. And it wasn't even on a map. So you had to have a permission to go into the city. You'd have a card to go in. You'd have almost a passport even to enter that city and to come out of it. That was where the research was, scientists. They were probably working on all kinds of explosives. And it's open now, obviously. But Alexander was born in that region. And um, had a pretty decent family, but his parents got divorced when he was young. Started getting mad, angry, and drinking a lot. He has a... He had a, a tattoo of a swastika on his arm. Just hated everything. He got to that point of just hating life, hating people. He and a friend were in a bar one day, and they were walking home, and they said, we're gonna kill, let's kill the first person we see. And somehow God spared him. They never met one person on the way home. You know, slept off his drunkenness and woke up the next day and kind of was going through life like that, angry, wanted to kill. And one day he meets a friend who in the streets of Perm, and his friend is different. I mean, what in the world? He hadn't he'd been one of his drinking buddies. You know, hadn't seen him for a while. What's going on? He says, yeah, I shared how he became a Christian, how he accepted Christ, invited him to a, a service that night. And Alexander said, no way. You know, But a week later, Alexander joined him at this thing. And su- supernaturally, God just awakened his eyes. Like all of a sudden, all this hatred, all this anger and this bitterness that was in there just spewed out. And he accepted Christ. He was free. And his life is just, it's incredible to see him change. I always love those before and after stories, right? Especially if you don't even know the before until after you know them. You think, what happened? This mild-mannered guy was, uh, had a swastika and hated people and wanted to kill people, but God so changed his heart. He started a church down there in Siberia. He met his wife, they got married, they planted this church. They've got 
about five great kids. Six years ago, they moved to St. Petersburg to start New Life Church. And there they are serving. And he's got such a heart and a passion for people. And I think here is one of those men that I would have hated, and we would have hated him years ago, who's now leading a church. And what he says to me all the time, he says, Andy, I've got to figure out how to plant another church over here. See, all these regions around St. Petersburg, that city over there is 80,000 people. There's not one church in it whatsoever. How can we plant a church this year? And we're brainstorming. I mean, I'm trying to help him some finances. And it's like 1000 a month is all we're going to do. And we're going to help out for like the first year. And how can we get a church planted there? And how can we do it? Because there's no church. There's one city they want to plant a church in, 100 kilometers away. One believer, an old grandma, Babushka there, she hears it on the, gets some stuff on the radio or the internet because they do some streaming. Once a month, she takes the bus into town to join the church so she can have communion with them. Probably two hours on the bus just to come in to join the church. No church in her village. I say, Lord, somehow give us workers that will start a church there. The histories are so rich. And I, and I think sometimes the his, his history, his personal history, how God looked past it and says, here was somebody who hated me, hated life, and I'm going to redeem him. Jesus does that. He looks past those histories. He also looks past the culture. Jesus can look past the culture when he looked at that woman. Now, at that time, the man and the woman thing, there was quite a distance there. A religious leader, he never would have stepped out and talked to a woman, ate, drank out of her, her cup and that dish. I mean, that is just not allowed. It would, that was an ethnicity thing, a, a prejudice thing. We all have prejudice. People have prejudice a little bit, and we all do it. Um, you know, I'm very prejudiced against any Minnesota Viking fan. You know, I mean, they're, they're obviously low-life scum. You know, I, I can say that because Kevin is that. Um, I'm a Packerbacker, in case you didn't understand that. I love, you know, you, but we have prejudice toward people. We really do. And we're prejudiced toward people of different color or race or background. Maybe it's poverty. You know, somebody's poor. Sometimes we're prejudiced toward people in their sin choices the way they choose to sin. When I, meant, I mentioned Freedom Home, and Freedom Home is, it's changed me more than we ever changed the women, I say. I didn't go into this. My wife was starting, this is before, like I said, before the issue of the day, there was Moldova and Russia, that whole area was the last wave of the, the latest wave of trafficking victims and women who are trafficked out of their property. I mean, really, they're sold, tricked into prostitution. And it is horrendous, the stories that we had. And, I remember somebody saying to me, Andy, don't, I mean, don't work with prostitutes like that. It's not good for you to do because the spirit of the prostitute might jump out on you. <laughs> I, was, I thought, what in the world do you mean by that? You know, I have never had a spirit of prostitute jump out on me. I've never had the desire to wear a short leather miniskirt and stockings. You know, that's not on me. You know, I'll just tell you that. You know. um, so I don't know what they meant. But you know, there's prejudice. Don't work with those girls. And I, Can I just give you a little little flag that you can hang up. If you ever hear those people, right then you've lost the spirit of Christ. Don't work with those Muslims. Don't work with those Russians. Don't work with those women's, don't, women. Don't work with those drunks. Don't work with those people because they are not right. If you say those, you've already separated yourself from them. I'm different than them. I'm better and they're worse. Jesus said, I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And she's just a woman who needs the living water. And I want to encourage you to look at your heart and say, God, forgive me if I ever use those women. Bring me near to them. And we have learned so much. 
Because I realized the more I sat with broken, truly broken people, the more I realized that I'm no different than them. Sin has put his mark on my heart, just the same as everyone. And there but for the grace of God. And some of the stories are so hard and so hurtful. But you just learn how to sit down with people. And you've got to look past all those barriers of culture and all those barriers of prejudice and all those barriers of history and just love people. I had a couple situations, just stories that stick in my mind. And one was really about a year ago, standing in a country that's the most Muslim nation in the world. I mean, if you walk in, it says you're not allowed to bring anything Christian in. This is Muslim. If I walked up to somebody and talked to them in the street, within 15 minutes I'd be escorted and kicked out of the country. And I was there just doing some, doing, writing an article for somebody because they're trying to get people to pray and how can we get workers in this country and what can we do? And one, the last day, I was all by myself at this day. Everybody had gone. I walked through a field on the one end. And it was Friday, so it was a, a Muslim day of their day off, their holy day or whatever. And so all these people down in this park, kids playing, you know, there's, there must have been, Three to 5,000 people. I don't know. Just those crowds of people. There's people sitting there in full burqas and women with just with head coverings and some guys with a long white and some guys just in shorts. I mean, it was guys playing basketball and soccer and there was a little bit of cricket going on there. And I, you know, that was kind of fascinating to watch them play cricket. And, and I'm just walking along here and I came around the corner of this one thing and met a woman there. And I don't know, I just said hello. And she talked back in English. I mean, I'm the only white guy in this entire field of 5,000 people, and I'm, the, and I'm the only Christian. And I talked to this woman, and she said, hello, and this is her daughter. She had a beautiful girl, you know, a little two-year-old. She says, this is Alina, and she can't walk yet. And I smiled. And, I, you know, I, I'm a father of three girls, you know, father of females. And I, I looked, and my heart just went out for her. Somehow in the conversation, I realized her husband was gone, dead, or abandoned her. And she was by herself. And I just talked. And I said, you know, I'm going to be praying for you. And I had that realization that all these people had never once heard about Christ. And unless somebody goes, unless a church is planted, unless, unless somebody shares about the gospel, unless somehow the gospels can even be translated into their language, they will never once hear about it. The only thing they've been cursed with, that little Aliona, Alina, is being born in a nation that there is no church. That should sober us up. About a month or two later, I'm sitting in St. Petersburg in our subway system, our metro. The metros there are deep. You go down about, some are at least 10 floors down. So you get on the escalator, and you take the escalator about two minutes to get to the bottom. And it's, they're actually double as bomb shelters when those Americans bombed us. You know? <laughs> That's what they, I think they're set up as. And so we'd, I'd go down to the bottom of these things. They're beautiful subways and metro stations. And you go in. And I was standing in the middle of it one time, and the doors opened on the right, and the doors opened on the left. You know, the trains are going one way, and the other one's coming this way. And thousands of people, when it's busy, it's busy. It's, you're walking like the, the March of the Penguins or whatever. You know, it's only like this. You know, you kind of get your way through there. And thousands of people come by, and that's when I had this little realization, that epiphany. And I woke up, and I looked, and I said, all these people have never once heard about Christ. Most of them probably don't even know a Christian. Lord, give us a church, churches, hundreds of churches in St. Petersburg. I've got 500,000 Tajiks, probably. That's a half a million Muslims. And I don't know of any Christians. And I don't know of any church that's reaching them. Lord, give us a team of people that will plant a church among the Muslims in the middle of Russia. We are dreaming for that. 
Lord, somehow do that. To answer the call of going and make disciples, you have to pray a dangerous prayer. You have to pray the prayer of, Lord, change my heart. Let me step into this road, and I don't know where you're going to lead me. And I think that's probably my greatest challenge to you, even on a missions Sunday like this. I'm talking to you about obedience, radical obedience of saying, I don't know where you're going to be led. Not every person here is going to be led to Russia. Okay? I, you know, I'm, I, I know that. You guys do know that uh, Kevin and his family, they're going to be coming to Russia in a year, serving in St. Petersburg. And you're going to be sending somebody from your church to help serve there among a school, ministry there. He'll share more about that. But you guys need to be praying for them and supporting them and coming alongside them. Not every person here is going to come to Russia. Some of you may. I mean, we're looking and dreaming for church teams, little teams of people, all kinds of abilities, teaching English or working with kids or working with youth. And we can form a team from multi-ethnic, multi-denominational. So we can have six to eight people working in these areas, planting the church in a Chechnya, in a Dagestan, in Ingushetia, in the Buddhist regions, in the far edges of Siberia, in Tuva, where there's shamanists, where there's orthodox we have 25 black holes in Russia that have almost no churches whatsoever, probably the size of Washington, the state of Washington. Big areas, no churches. And I say, Lord, give us some people to go there. And they're, most of them are probably fiercely atheist, good old red communist. I mean, that's it. And it's going to be hard work to plant a church there. But we need somebody to say, I will commit to doing that. We need churches that are going to pray for that. And so I'm challenging you, step out of the road, step out into the road, and say, I'm going to commit to prayer. A lot of times, missionaries, in all of them, we, and we survive on people making financial pledges. And you say, oh yeah, I'm going to pledge $10 a month to support you, or $100 a month, or you know, $1,000 a year. But what I'm asking for now is I want prayer pledges. I want somebody to say, I will pledge to pray once a week, or once a day, and I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray, I'm going to believe for God to do something significant in Russia. We need prayer. Boy, years ago, prayer brought down the wall. And it brought down the wall and freedom came. And we need that same kind of prayer that the spiritual strongholds will break. Russia is not getting easier right now. Russia is getting harder. And we need to pray for that. So I want to encourage you to love unconditionally. Just love people. Love people wherever you're at. Pray for those that are as if they're your kids or your grandkids. And we need those. Um... Tasha is an interesting story. She was really grew up in a, a dysfunctional home. I think her mom maybe died, her dad left the country, and she's stuck there with a grandma who didn't like her and her sister. Well, I liked her sister, but didn't like her. So she'd tell the sister, you're beautiful, and she'd tell Tasha, you're ugly. And it's, I know it's hard. You get these dysfunctional things. And, and Tasha was very broken. And a guy said, hey, uh, why don't you come with me to Turkey? Went to Turkey, this Muslim country, and there he promised her a job at a hotel. Tasha and the 29 other girls at this hotel worked for one month, and at the end of the month, he said, now you're all illegal. You have your passports. If you say anything, you'll be turned into the police, thrown into prisons. And he trafficked all 30 of them. They would be moved uh, every week to a different city in Turkey where they're forced into prostitution. And out of one of those came a little girl, and she sat in her home, and Tasha's been there, and she's been there. And I remember seeing the 
the, the distrust. You've never seen true love. They don't understand true brokenness. Oftentimes you don't understand love. And Nancy just loved and loved and loved her. And we start to see life come through loving people. When I say love unconditionally, God has called you to love unconditionally. You know, some people are not easy to love. And Tasha is not easy to love. She can be manipulative. She can be difficult. She can be needy and clingy. And we just say, God, somehow help us to love. And in true brokenness, um, it causes all kinds of dysfunction. But if you're going to make a difference... Love unconditionally. What did Jesus do with that woman? He did not condemn her. I mean, he he confronted her, but he just loved her. Sometimes Russians are not always easiest to love. Now, you know, in the news, I'm just, that's what you see in the news. But God's called you to love them. God's called you to care for this country because he cares for it. And I want you to have that passion and that attitude to do that. You know, I, I love ministry. I love what God is doing, but I, sometimes I want to cry back and say, God, just let me sit down back in my lazy boy. Our hearts always trend that way, but God wants to stretch you. Alexander, as I mentioned, I love, I love that man and his heart. He struck me more than anything because I think my tendency sometimes is I always want to play it safe too. I want to say, let's just concentrate on this one area, what we have right now. And Alexander says, you know, I've got a church here right now, and it's great, but somehow we've got to plant two more. I say, Lord, give me that same kind of vision. Give me the vision. So remember your brokenness and ask God to change you. So as a mission thing, you know, I really want to say a couple of things. I want to challenge you very clearly because I think that's the time. There's an old pastor's phrase, and I, I say it often. It says, the call of every preacher, we're to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable, Okay. And sometimes when I talk about a lot of brokenness, I know people have pain. And I know that there's stories. In fact, I can guarantee even within this room, there's somebody who says, ah, yeah, you talk about Tasha, I remember that. You know? And I know the pain that I have, and I know that God cannot use me because here's what I did, and here's my sin, and here's my background. Or God can never do anything with me because you do not know how broken I am or what I did. But I just say, God is able to redeem the, the most unredeemable. So God can use you, every person here. And I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your sin is. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what happened to you. But I just want to comfort you right now today. But the Holy Spirit says, I will use you in some way, in some fashion. Prayer, intercession, you'll never know. I don't know how it's going to be, but God wants to use each of you. If God can use me, I mean, I'm nothing. I just want you to know that. I am a CK. That's called a carpenter's kid. You know, I grew up pounding nails, hauling two-by-fours. I milked cows for my uncle. That's all I knew. I don't even know how God can use me. I mean, I don't. My standard joke is I've got three girls and a wife. Um, I do not understand the female brain, okay? I just got to tell you that, all women in here. I still go, why are they crying, Nancy? I don't understand this. You know, God, and then God says, hey, you know, that's just not enough women or estrogen in your life. You know, why don't you have freedom home now? You know, and my wife deals with it, but I'm Uncle Andy there. And now Nancy just came back just last night from Finland, and she's meeting with somebody, uh, Katrina there, and they're starting a home right now in Helsinki. She said, hey, I'm gonna, Andy, I've just committed some money. We've got to raise some money you know, <laughs> to help them remodel the home they already have. And so, okay, great, now I've got to find $15,000 or something. You know, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to do this? And 
I think, God, I don't have these kind of capabilities to do any of this kind of stuff. I don't. But God says, it doesn't matter, you know. Just get uncomfortable. And so I want to challenge you in every way to get uncomfortable financially. Learn how to give. Learn how to give to the missions. You got, there's cans that are coming up in a couple of weeks. You've got local ministries that you need to be a part of. Give financially. Don't just spend it on yourself. Don't. When I end this world, I want to know how much I've invested. And I invest in missionaries myself. I support them. Invest prayer. Commit yourself to pray. You know, as Christians, sometimes they say, oh, that's really nice. I'll pray for you. And then we go home and we turn on the you know, basketball game or football game. I want to pray. Say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to intercede. Nothing will happen without prayer. Nothing. Nothing. Essie is one girl in the home that was trafficked to Moscow. And she was there, went there to go work. A friend and her gr- took her and her girlfriend and said, hey, I've got a job right outside of Moscow. Come with me. This is a great job. You can make a lot more money. Took her out there, took their passports, and sold them to traffickers. And when they grabbed her, they, for- they beat her and raped her, made her prostitute her alongside the highway every night, drugged her and put her in the forest during the day. Essie's life was broken, shattered. She ran to the police twice. The police took her back. She got out of there finally back to safety, but everything was ruined in her life. She thought, my, my whole life is ruined. I have no hope. I remember her sitting there and said, I thought I had a future, but I have nothing. And I know the only way she survived is prayer. Because I can fast forward now and she's changed. It would take me too long to tell you the whole story, how God did a miracle. But I, the best illustration is the old movie scene where people lean over the cliff and hold the guy over the arm. You know, the, they have it like in one of every ten movies. You know, the guy's leaning over the cliff or the building and he's holding onto the person's arm and they've got to pull him to safety. You know, that scene, you know, and... Most of the time, they pull him to safety. Every once in a while, a guy falls to their death, you know, type thing. Well, with Essie, with so many of the people, it's like you're leaning over a cliff, holding on with fingernails to see him survive. Can they make it? Can God's grace cover them? Can they, can they realize there's hope in a future? And you're holding on. And there's times that I know her hand was not touching our hand. But I say the prayers of a church, one specific church and one specific group of people probably, interceding for her, held her up like suspending gravity until she could have the strength to grab onto our hand again. And today, Essie is a leader, a worker, a staff member at the home, and she's transformed. And it is not by any wisdom or any words that I did or any counseling. It's only through prayer that supernaturally held her. And so I say to you, how are we going to plant a church in Chesnia? It's going to be through prayer, people praying that God will do something so supernatural. Or how are we going to plant a church in that Buddhist region just around the corner? Or how can we see the gospel go forth in Volgograd? That's Stalingrad. Have you ever ever seen a movie, Enemy at the Gates? That is the city. It was bombed beyond recognition. We need the church to be planted there. How can we do it? Through prayer. Through prayer. It's only going to happen through prayer. How How am I going to be able to stay in Russia? and visas, and what if the window closes? How are we going to do it? Through prayer. So I want you to pray. So not only step out on the road financially or prayerfully, but I'm also going to ask some of you to pray about going or sending or coming and joining us. Um, I already mentioned Kevin and his wife and family. They're going to come. And maybe some of these God is going to call some of you. Maybe not just. Maybe it's not just going to be Russia. Maybe it's going to be Guatemala or the Philippines or I don't know where. I guess there's a team coming back even here today. But God is going to call some of you. Can I speak very directly to grandparents and to parents? 
If your kids say, hey, God is calling me to serve someplace, will you bless them and let them go? You know, one of the greatest reasons we don't have people come sometimes is their parents say, no, no, that's too dangerous in Russia. You need to be, become an engineer, a doctor, make good money. You've got to do this kind of thing. You've got to make more money. And parents and grandparents are afraid to let them go. And I want to encourage you, bless them. Release them and say, whatever your dreams are, if God is calling you, I will bless your effort. And yeah, there's challenges. I, there's challenges. I'm not promising anything. I'm not, I'm not promising an easy road. All I'm saying is, you'll be blessed by being there. I'm a richer man because of serving in Russia and Moldova. Not financially, trust me. You know, it's cost me a lot of blood, sweat, tears, money, and hair that I could not afford to lose. I mean, it, it cost me. But it, you are richer because of it. Because God will lead you, and you'll see, the, you'll see Him work the miracles. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you're called to come. Some of you are called to come. And some of you are called to send. So I'm going to pray that God stretches you. I'm going to ask that God will move your hearts and make you uncomfortable. Or if, he'll, if you need it, He'll also comfort your hearts. So I'm going to pray that the Lord speaks to you. you know, I'm so blessed to be here. I'm blessed to stand here with you guys and to share, share about what God's doing. But I'm just telling you, we are desperately in need of people that are going to stand with us. We need the errands and the herds that are going to hold up our arms in prayer. We need miracles to happen. We need people that are praying for Essies, and we need people that are praying for the church plants, and we need people that are going to come alongside and do a construction and help build a building for Alexander. I don't know what it's going to take, but we need people to do it together. It's too much to do by ourselves. Would you just stand to your feet? I'm going to, I'm going to pray for you. Ash, I don't know if you could come back, and we're going to close in a song. Would you just, even right where you're at, just right now, close your eyes. I'm just going to do this. I didn't do this for service, but I feel like I need to right now. Just close your eyes where you're at. Just bow your head, just for a moment. I'm just going to ask two simple questions. One, who needs the Holy Spirit to comfort them? Because they feel like they do not have an opportunity. They do not have a future. They cannot be used of God. I don't know why. I don't know if it's your past or your, your story or what happened to you or your sin or your decisions or decisions that were from somebody else. But you say, I don't think I'm worthy and I'm not sure how God can use me. But I want you to pray that God will change my heart. If that's somebody here, just, just hold up your hand for just me to see, okay? Just me to see. I want to know if there's anybody I need to pray for. And I'll pray for you. Is there anybody? Okay. Thanks. I'm going to ask the second question here then. Um, how many of you say, I know I'm comfortable. I've been comfortable with my time. I've been comfortable with my comfort, my pleasures, my joys. Comfort with, maybe with my money, or maybe I'm comfortable and I know God is calling me and stretching me. And maybe it's to start, join a ministry right here in this church. Maybe it's right here in this community. Maybe it's a shelter or giving of resources. Maybe it's of your time. Maybe it's working with youth or kids or, or reaching people in their homes. Maybe it's the elementary school right next door and you know that, hey, God's stretching me and I've been too comfortable and I have not moved out of my lazy boy, figurative lazy boy. Maybe it's in missions. Maybe it's in giving. Maybe it's in going. But you say, I know I'm comfortable. I just want to lift my hand to say, God, I'm going to recognize it with you that I want you to stir my heart and make me uncomfortable. Is there anybody here? Okay, thanks, 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 thanks. It's 
quite a few of us. And I'm, I tell you, my hand's raised because I need the Lord to do the same in me. Lord, um, I know my words are just my words, but I know the Holy Spirit can do speak to hearts here more than I can ever do it. And I got God, I just ask right now that somehow you'll stir that little bit of a feeling into action. Lord, help us to make some decisions here today that whatever, whatever you're stirring us out of, help us to take the first step today. And Lord, in fact, I pray that for every person here. Lord, I pray for those that raised their hands and for those that didn't even, that you help us to take one step today, one step of obedience. And I'm not sure what is going to be, Lord, if it's, if it's saying, I'm going to make a commitment to prayer or I'm going to make a commitment to go. Maybe the next missions team, I'm going to be a part of it. Maybe I'm going to volunteer for the next local ministry. Maybe I need to just move out of my comfort zone and say, yeah, I'm going to commit to some time in a nursery or kids' church. Maybe I'll step into leadership if that's what you want. Or maybe I'll even just work on the construction of a church building. Well, I don't know what it is, but you have put something into each person's heart. In fact, it's probably the first thought that even comes to them. They already know it. And so, Lord, I pray that you give each of us courage. Give this church courage individually, every person, to do one thing today that they're not comfortable with. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's somebody they need to call and just ask for forgiveness. Maybe it's somebody they need to talk to them about their testimony and how they came to Christ. Maybe it's a coworker they need to somehow share about you with. Lord, maybe they're going to come or send their kids to Russia. I don't know. But Lord, I pray right now that you make us uncomfortable and stretch us. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm going to turn it here to Ash, but I'm going to let you know I would love to talk to you and pray with you, encourage you in any way possible. If God is speaking to you about any way, I know he mentioned that first service, we'd love to pray with you. In any ministry, in any way, I'd, be, I'd love it. So please grab a prayer card and I'll pray with you afterwards. Thanks.